We're reading from Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 14. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves." Well, good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I told the first service, it's always really neat to see how the Lord works things together sometimes. Um, I was listening to some of Nathan's words as he led worship. I was listening to Sean as he led us in prayer. And you're going to hear some of the same things you've already heard this morning. So I promise you I did not copy their homework assignment, but that the Lord is actually doing something here with us this morning. I'd also like to take the time to wish you a happy new year. The new year always brings a variety of emotions and thoughts into our minds. There are some that have the excitement of a fresh start. You're able to put the previous year behind you. You're able to set new goals for yourself. And you have a sense of optimism as you see 2024 approaching. You're ready to take on the world. You're ready to make these goals happen. But for others, you may have an analytical mind. There's a process of reflection that takes place this time of year. You look back on the past and you survey all of the details. You make adjustments where things went wrong. You celebrate the things that went well. And you look at the new year as a time to improve upon the year that you just had. And then there's some in the room that are just simply looking to celebrate because you're filled with joy as you look back on just what an awesome year you had. But... The reality is that there's also many in the room that could look back on 2023 and say this, I came into the year hoping for all of the things that you just described, but it was a year that was just flat out tough. There were unexpected turns along the way, there were all sorts of bumps, and sometimes those bumps in the road felt like massive potholes, and you're just hoping that 2024 is going to bring you some sort of reprieve from the struggles that you've been dealing with this year. But the reality for all of us in this room this morning, no matter where we fall on that spectrum, is that we have something in common. And that's that we have no idea what this year holds for us. And that's okay. Maybe 2024 will be everything that you hope for, but maybe it won't. The effects of the fall have touched every single aspect of this world. And it does not take long for us to look around and see how things have been affected. And we recognize that things are desperately wrong. Every single one of us in this room, if I had to bet, is either going through or has been through a moment or a season of life where you felt like the situations and the circumstances surrounding you seemed to be dire. You didn't know how you would make it through. There may even be some in this room this morning that are just struggling to put one foot in front of the other and make it through 
the day. Maybe you're faced with or you will face this upcoming year the disappointment of a recent prayer request. It didn't go the way that you had hoped it would. You're dealing with something and you thought that taking this to the Lord in prayer would just make it go away, but it hasn't resolved itself. And so you're left wondering, is this situation going to get any better? You're frustrated because you've tried over and over and over again to get out of it, but you don't see an end in sight. Or could it be a bout with anxiety? You've lived with it for so long that you honestly can't even remember a time where you didn't experience it. You've tried everything. You've, you've worked to eliminate it out of your life, but it just doesn't seem to want to go anywhere. And so you're wondering if the remainder of your life will be spent trying to navigate these anxious waters that you've become so accustomed to. Maybe there's a financial hole that you found yourself in, and you don't even know the first steps to take to start digging yourself out. Seems like every time you start to get ahead, life comes at you quick. The car breaks down. The appliance needs to be replaced. You look at the way that prices have risen. You just think to yourself, I I don't know how I'm going to get out of this hole. Or it could be a medical diagnosis. Life's going in one direction. There's no foreseeable issues on the horizon. And then just like that, one phone call changes everything. And within a matter of moments, you're left trying to pick up all of the pieces of this broken and newly shattered reality. What if it's the wayward child, the one who has either abandoned the faith or seemingly wants nothing to do with it, and you pray desperately every single day, hoping that the Lord will bring them back? You even begin to parent, or question all of the parenting decisions you've made, and you wonder if it's something you, that you did, and the thought like that eats away at you. Perhaps it's your marriage that's on the rocks. And you're desperately trying to fix things, but you just don't know how. You want them to get better. You think back to the good old days of when things were so much better and you were enamored with each other, but now all you feel is this cold drift between yourselves. Or could it be the loss of a loved one? And now you're just left trying to cope with this new normal. You don't even know if you're going to be able to go back to the things, the way things were before you lost them. And... You're you're looking around at everything and you wonder, man, can I exist with this new reality that I'm facing? All of these situations can rock us to our core. Every single one of them can leave us feeling helpless, can leave us feeling scared. And I can remember a period of my own life just a few years ago where it seemed like I was going through one of these periods of life and it actually lasted a full year. Over the course of that year, there were broken relationships, there were medical scares, and there was even the very real possibility during a period of time where my wife and I were facing uh, potential homelessness through a variety of circumstances. And I remember all of the thoughts that went through my mind. I remember thinking to myself, what in the world is going on? God, what are your plans for this? Why would you allow this to happen? But most of all, I remember feeling helpless, like there was nothing that I could do in those moments. And I know what you're thinking right now. (laughs) Who in the world got this guy to preach the New Year uh, sermon, right? What a buzzkill. But I promise I'm going somewhere with this, if you just hang on with me for a moment. Like Nathan said, we're coming out of the Christmas season where we celebrate the truth that we have the greatest hope imaginable, that our lives can be characterized by joy. But in the same breath, we know because we live in this world 
that pain and suffering, they surround us. And inevitably, we're going to rub shoulders with those two things at some point or another. So how is it that you reconcile these two truths? And what we're going to do is we're going to look in Exodus 2 this morning, if you want to turn there. My goal is to dispel any sort of thinking from our minds today that allows us to begin to believe that there's no hope for us based on the experiences that we go through. And I want to show you today how knowing the God that you serve can give you tremendous comfort in whatever crisis you face in your life. And as a result, my prayer for this group of people in this room today would be that we would commit more fully this year, make it your resolution to deepen your understanding of who God is. Because if there's one thing that I know this morning, it's this. The more intimately that you know God, the better equipped you will be to handle the curveballs that life throws at you. So in our scripture reading this morning, the stage has already been set. Many of you know the story of Joseph. You're familiar with it. He's an Israelite. He has a bunch of brothers that are uh, pretty ticked off at the favoritism that their father is showing to him. And so as a result, they end up selling Joseph into slavery where he winds up in Egypt. But through God's providence, he gets a prominent position in the kingdom. He's able to save many people from a famine that's taking place. And among those people are his family, the Israelites. Because Joseph is so loved by this Pharaoh, he allows him to bring his family into the land and to live there on the best portion of land. By all means, everything seems to be going well for God's people until we get to Exodus 1. The Pharaoh that loved Joseph has died. This new Pharaoh rises up to power, and it's him who looks out on all these Israelites living in his land, and he gets really paranoid. He thinks to himself, what in the world are we going to do with all these people? There's so many of them. If they rise up and try to overthrow us, they will win. We have to do something. So he decides to enslave them. He decides to treat them harshly. And this slavery goes on for the next 400 years. Generations, entire generations have been born, lived their entire lives, and died knowing nothing except for cruel slavery. So to say that this group of people have experienced, is experiencing a rough patch is quite the understatement. And as we approach the end of chapter 2, you should be wondering to yourself, is there any hope for Israel at all? What hope can they have in the midst of this situation? And if we're careful, we might actually miss it. There's just these random verses at the end that are so vital. They not only give Israel great hope, but as I stated earlier, my goal is that these verses would give you great hope this morning as well. So let's look at Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And so what we see in this passage is a cry coming out from God's people to God. And what we're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning is looking at those four verbs that detail what God is doing. So if you take another look back there, we'll see that God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. And my hope is that 
examining these four thoughts today will do exactly what I've asked earlier, that it would encourage your faith and show you how knowing these things about the Lord can get you through difficult situations and that it would spur you on to get to know this God of the Bible even more. So the first action we see God taking in this passage is that God hears his people. Just stop for a moment. Pause. Consider that statement. The God, the almighty and sovereign God, who is able to speak entire universes into existence is the same exact God who takes the time to listen to his people. If that does not encourage your faith this morning, I don't know what will. And realistically, I could stop this whole thing right now. I could say, okay, guys, let's pray. Let's, let's head out of here. And this one truth alone should be enough to leave you filled with all kinds of hope in whatever situation it is that you're going through. And like Sean said earlier, this isn't just one passage that tells us this truth. The entirety of Scripture is filled with passages affirming this truth. Psalm 66 says this, I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Psalm 34, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. Psalm 6, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. 1 Peter 3, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. 1 John 5, and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Brothers and sisters, we must believe this truth. It is so much uh, easier said than done. One of the areas in my own personal life that I'm becoming increasingly aware of that the Lord is working on me is in the area of patience. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you need a little bit of improvement in that area as well. But when we look at this world that we live in, this technology-filled world, Everything around us is actually set up to breed impatience in our lives, right? Everything's set up for instant gratification. You don't have to wait for anything. We're so connected to everyone and everything that we send a message off to someone and we expect an immediate response, don't we? And if they don't respond immediately, we just assume the worst. We even have these streaming services that allow you to binge watch television shows and you don't even have to wait a week in between episodes, It's crazy. And they even take it a step further, right, where they say, hey, if you want to pay a little extra, we'll take those commercials. Well, they're ads now. I learned from the kids that they're ads. Commercials don't exist anymore, so I'm officially an old person. But they'll remove all the ads so you don't even have to sit through those things. And in this societal context that we find ourselves in, persevering in uh, prayer is a difficult task for us to engage in. We'll pray a couple of times, and we're tempted to believe that because we don't see immediate results, maybe God's not listening, or maybe he just doesn't care. But we have to reject this experiential lie. We have to believe the truths that are contained in God's word. And what we see in God's word, Jesus teaches multiple times that there is tremendous value in the persistent uh, prayer life. So we need to be a people that are persistent in prayer. And I wonder how different your prayer life might look if you truly believed just this truth here, that God hears you every time you go to him in prayer. 
would we be a little less prone to rolling up our sleeves and getting to the task by ourselves? Would we be quicker to recognize God's sovereignty in our situation? Would we run to God as our first priority when difficult things pop up because we know that he has all authority and he can actually impact real change in our lives? I think the answer to those questions would be yes. So don't just brush this truth over. We need to soak in this truth today. When you leave here, don't let these words leave your uh, minds. I want you to think deeply on them. I want you to recognize that this is a tremendous comfort that you have in whatever situation you're dealing with. I want you to know that God hears the prayers of his people. And I want you to consider whether you need to commit yourself to more consistent prayer. God hears his people. Our second great comfort this morning is that God remembers his covenants. This passage is specifically referring to the covenant that God makes with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Where do we find that covenant? It's in Genesis chapter 12, which in my opinion is one of the most important texts in the entirety of the Old Testament because it gives so much clarity to the rest of the Old Testament. And in Genesis 12, God determines to make an unconditional covenant with Abraham. And that means that Abraham didn't have to do anything. God just shows up on the scene and he looks at Abraham and he says, I'm going to make some promises to you. And he makes six. And they're as follows. He says, I will give you a new land. That's the promised land that you read about a lot in the Old Testament. He says, I will make you a great nation, meaning your offspring will be innumerable. He actually compares it to the amount of stars in the sky, the amount of grains of sand on the shore. And then number three, this one is one of my favorites. He just says, I'm going to bless you. Look, you just have my unmerited favor. I'm going to bless you. And then the next three kind of coincide with that. He says, not only will I bless you, but I'll bless those who blessed you. And I'll give you the flip side of that. I will curse those who curse you. And Abraham, through you and your descendants, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. Well, by all means, by the time we get to Exodus 1, it looks like God's not very faithful. It looks like he doesn't keep his promises at all. The Israelites certainly are not living a blessed life in their own promised land. Furthermore, if you remember Exodus 1, it's exactly because they've become such a fruitful nation that Pharaoh becomes paranoid. And he says, we got to do something about these guys. What's the deal with God saying he would curse those who cursed Israel? Don't you think that 400 years of slavery would deserve some sort of retribution? Well, we cannot be deceived. God is not lacking in his sovereignty, and Pharaoh certainly is not more powerful than God. So to prove this, let me read a passage from Genesis 15. The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring about judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions." Brothers and sisters, God was not caught off guard by the enslavement of the Israelites. It was actually a part of his sovereign plan. He predicted it before Abraham had one child, let alone an entire nation. And we we know how this story ends. If you look at the next couple of verses after our our, uh, couple of verses from this text, look into chapter 3 a little bit. God begins to raise up the deliverer for the Israelites just like he always does. God does curse Egypt through the plagues. 
He does free the Israelites, and he does allow them to take great positions, possessions out of the land. And eventually, he does restore them to their own promised land. God fulfills not only Genesis 12, but Genesis 15 as well. God is a covenant-making God. And God is always faithful to his promises. This is good news. It's good news for you. It's good news for me. Because if you're a Christian in this room right now, that means that you are in a, a new covenant relationship with the Lord. And if you're in a covenant relationship with the Lord, that means that God has made promises to you as well. And you can trust them wholeheartedly. For the sake of time, I won't run through a list of these promises, but I do want to focus on one in particular that I think applies well to what we're talking about here today. Romans 8.28 tells us that no matter what circumstance or situation we're facing, God will work all things out for our good. This means that even when we find ourselves wondering why God would be allowing something to happen, it means that even when we don't understand the things that are happening to us, God has a good plan and a good purpose for it. So for you, how does that play out? Well, it means this. It means in your darkest moments this year, God is faithful. It means that when nothing around you seems to be making sense, God is faithful. And it means that when you can't even imagine your situation getting any worse, God is faithful. So take heart. God has not abandoned you. He will not abandon you. If you find yourself going through a difficult season this year, the second great comfort that you can have from our text today is that God is a God who remembers his covenants and he will work all things out for your good. Trust that. Believe that. Don't let go of that. God hears his people and God is faithful to his people. Our first or our third great comfort that we have in crisis is that God sees his people. And I must admit uh, this one is a little harder to understand and to get behind. You, you might even find yourself asking this. How is it supposed to comfort me that in the midst of my world falling apart, God sees it and he's seemingly doing nothing about it? How is that supposed to comfort me? Well, missionary and pastor Vody Balkum answers this question very well. He says this. It is a great comfort that God sees us in our sufferings because the alternative would be unbearable. Now, here's what Vodi is getting at. He's saying, if our pain and our suffering is somehow outside of the realm of God's sovereignty, you and I have no hope at all. Our whole worldview actually begins to collapse into a chaotic environment as we imagine a world where God can't help us in our moments of need because he's simply not aware of them. Although it may not seem like it on the surface, the fact that God sees you in your suffering is a glorious truth that you should hold on to. Furthermore, I'd like to turn your attention to Genesis 22 because this phrase in, in Exodus, God sees, would actually fall on Jewish ears a whole lot differently than it probably falls on our ears this morning. Many of you are probably familiar with the story of Genesis 22. This is where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac and he's doing it as a test of faith. And there are many great things that we can pull out of that text, but I want to highlight one of the names of God that is revealed in this passage. Jehovah Jireh means that the Lord will provide. How does he reveal that in this story? Give me an answer. Where does the Lord provide in the story? You can participate. 
The ram. Yeah, good. He provides the ram in the thicket right as Abraham is about to uh, sacrifice his son. He provides the substitute that takes the place of Isaac. And what's interesting about that story, depending on the translation that you use, when Abraham and Isaac walk down that mountain, they name that mountain. And like I said, whatever translation you use, it might say this. It might say either God will provide or God sees. And so if you're being a good Bible reader, if you're connecting the dots there, what that's meant for us to do is it's meant for us to see that whatever God sees, he provides for. And so if God sees you, he will provide for you. Let me ask you guys a serious question. I want you to put your best Sunday school thinking caps on this morning. What is the greatest need in your life? What is the greatest need in your life? I'll give you a hint. Everyone should have the same answer, and you're in church this morning, okay? (laughs) The greatest need of every individual since the fall in Genesis 3 is salvation. Every single one of us, that is the greatest need that we've had is salvation. And if we're left to ourselves, we're facing a pretty bleak situation that we can't get ourselves out of, but God did not leave us to ourselves. God stepped in. He's looked down on you in your greatest need, and he has provided everything that you needed perfectly in his son, Jesus Christ. God's great love and concern for his people, for you and for me, came at a great cost. Jesus takes on flesh. He comes to this earth to live a perfectly obedient life for you and for me, and then he goes willingly to that cross, and he dies on it in our place, becoming the sacrifice that we needed to be saved. And this is where the parallels between Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross um, come together so beautifully. This is what makes Genesis 22 such a great chapter in the Bible. The passage reveals to us our great need for a substitute to come in, to die for us, to cover our sins. And it also shows us that God provides the lamb for us. In the words of John the Baptist, Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So let me ask you a follow-up question. If God saw you in your greatest moment of need and was willing to go to such great lengths to meet that need, what makes you think right now with whatever it is that you're going through, he won't also meet you there and provide everything you need through that situation? Romans 8.32 says it beautifully. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is our third great comfort that we can trust. God sees us and our need for him, and he meets those needs perfectly in a way that only he can. And it's always best, even if it's different from what we expected. God hears his people. So what? So we run to him in prayer. Number two, God remembers his covenants. So what? So we can trust that he'll be faithful to us. Number three, God sees his people. So what? So we know that he's going to provide for us. Our fourth and final comfort this morning is that God knows our situations. He knows. He knows exactly what it is that you're going through. He knows exactly how long the suffering must last. 
He knows exactly how to provide for you in those moments. And he knows the good and sovereign plan that he's working through it all. And even in all of the unknowns and questions that we may have, God knows everything perfectly. So here's something that you can know. God is good. And we can trust him perfectly through it all. Also know this, whatever situation it is that you face, you're not alone. Everything you have to endure. We have a friend and an advocate in Jesus. You ever been dealing with something in your own life and you, you think to yourself, I don't even know who I can go to to talk to about this. They wouldn't understand the situation. They've never had to deal with this particular thing. I have no idea who I can go to. What does Hebrews 4 tell us? Hebrews 4 teaches us that Jesus is our great high priest who's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He knows. And it's because of this knowledge that we can trust him in the midst of all of our greatest problems. So as I begin to wind down here, as I come to a close this morning, every single one of us in this room is faced with a decision. If you're an unbeliever in this room, Maybe you've been skeptical about the whole God thing. And maybe it's because of the difficult life situations that you've experienced that has caused you to believe that maybe he isn't real. But listen to me. If you are an unbeliever in this room, you are not here by coincidence. They don't exist. God has sovereignly placed you in this room right now so that you can hear my words to you, that you can hear the blessings that come from trusting in Christ, and that you can know that if you would humble yourself today, if you would repent of the sin in your life and you would begin to follow him with everything, trusting in his sacrifice for you, God will save you and all of these tremendous benefits can be yours this morning. And if you're a Christian in here, maybe you feel like you're experiencing one of these moments in your life right now. If not, praise God for that. But if you are or you find yourself in one of these seasons this upcoming year, the best word that I can give to you this morning, the best encouragement that I can offer up to you is this. Remember these words. God hears his people. God remembers his covenants. God sees his people. And God knows perfectly the situations that we're enduring. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would look at the Israelites in Egypt and when we would see a people that we can uh, look to as our example, I pray that we would see the glorious realities of who you are this morning, that you are a God that cares deeply for your people, that you hear our cries. So God, I pray that we would be a praying church. God, you remember your covenants, so I pray we will be a trusting church, even when it makes no sense. God, you see your people, so I pray that we would be a church that knows you will provide for us and that lives freely. And God, you know us and you know everything in our lives and you've planned and you've ordained it. So God, I pray that we could live our lives freely knowing that you are a good God that has uh, set aside every single thing in our lives for a good purpose. Lord, draw us to yourself even closer this morning. Amen.